0: Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the things that I really enjoyed about building a mono-white-bordered Commander deck... For an upcoming game that is going to be staged at some point, hopefully soon, between myself and my friends J Row, also known as Coach J the Unsummoned Skull, and Peter, aka Mono White Border. And uh, basically, to explain what a Mono White Border Commander deck is, effectively, it requires the use of only Magic the Gathering cards that were printed any time between the sets Unlimited, or at least the core sets, Unlimited through 9th edition and obviously all of those core set cards have a distinctive white border that I uh, mentioned in my podcast the other day with Beyond the Machina. It makes them really stand out from the rest of the cards in my card long box because they just have that distinctive, really crisp-looking white border. And I wanted to spend a few minutes today talking about what I really enjoyed about this deck, this unique deck-building restriction, because obviously uh, EDH is an extremely open format, there's a lot of content on there out out there in the ether from a lot of other amazingly talented creators, but a lot of it re- kind of revolves around optimizing decks. And I really enjoyed being able to really kick back and really be able to build an extremely goofy deck for my entry into this model whiteboarder game. So uh, first, I really first I wanted to quickly introduce my commander. I'm go- I'm actually going to be. Uh, running a Naya commander for this one, so white, red, green. And my commander is Palladia Moors, one of the first five Elder Dragons that uh, is basically considered to be the first five commanders generals of the commander format. Uh, Palladia Moors is a 7-7 Dragon Legend that costs two generic white, white, red, red, green, green. So eight total mana for a 7-7 with Flying and Trample. Palladium Wars also has a very interesting upkeep cost that, uh, during your upkeep, you have to pay Naya, so the white, green, red, or bury Palladium Wars. So it's a very open deck concept, I suppose, is I, I really wanted to do something different than, uh, than Peter and the J-Ro were doing, because both of them are running Dimir colors, or in which case, uh, Peter is running Esper Colors, so he's adding white to the blue and black, and I figured I wanted to do something completely different. So I chose Pallanium Moors. It was either down to her or to Johan, who's who's the other eligible commander of this list. Johan is in the deck, but I figured I'd rather go with one of the OG commanders of Elder Dragon Highlander as my commander, even if her ability isn't nearly as powerful in a lot of cases as Johan's ability for the same for roughly the same cost. Anyway. Uh, I ended up building this as sort of a nigh-enchantress deck. Obviously, I wanted to build this around effects where I was going to be able to play enchantments, maybe try to be able to boost Palladiumor's power, or be able to boost the power of some of the other creatures that I have in this deck, and be able to utilize payoff cards like Gemma Enchantress and Verdure, Enchantress are pretty much the only payoffs for running enchantments in this deck, but given the kind of limited card pool... I ended up running a lot of enchantments that, obviously, these days would have been completely power crept out of the format, but in the mono white bordered manner, could actually be quite decent. And so I ended up taking this concept of, uh, you know, trying to play around with some enchantments, and then I figured, well, why not try to find some of the silliest enchantments that I can to try to be able to boost my creatures? Because obviously, I'm not only going to be trying to make this Voltron deck. Uh, if it, obviously, if I can equip Palladium ors with some enchantments and swing in for lethal commander damage, that's great. But again, I don't want to have that be my only win condition. I have other creatures in my deck that can benefit from the boost given to them by the enchantment auras that I have in my deck, and I really just wanted to be able to have some creatures that could swing in for some major damage so that obviously I wasn't running complete Voltron strategy if I didn't have to. Obviously that is one option in this deck, but it's not the only thing that I have going for it. Anyway... I really enjoyed this particular exercise because it really forced me to dig deep into the history of Magic to really be able to find some cards that were playable. Or, you know, even if they're not completely the most powerful, obviously I I still wanted to give it a kind of a fun shot where the deck wouldn't be completely useless, and I was going to be able to add some of my own interesting quirks in the deck building process to the deck. So the fact that there's an extremely limited card pool really intrigued me from the first time Peter requested that I start building a deck for this for this upcoming game. Because obviously I really enjoy old border cards. Again, like I mentioned earlier, I really love how the white border cards pop compared to the standard black border of the of the current border or even of the older border styles. I really just love that nice crisp clean look of the white border cards. So, this obviously was one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to start the game. But, but again, I really enjoy restrictive deck building uh, constraints. And the fact that I was able to, own, uh, the fact that I had access to a lot of the, the er, game's earliest core sets allowed me a lot of flexibility and really being able to see a lot of the cards that Wizards of the Coast back in the day thought the players really wanted to play with, kind of the effects that a lot of players wanted to play with, things like that and I was able to really try to be able to pick and choose what I wanted out of a, you know, still fairly large card pool. Obviously, we don't have access to a lot of the most powerful spells in the game, but the fact that I still have uh, the ability to play both Lightning Bolt, Red Elemental Blast, and uh, Swords to Plowshares is a sign that I'm still able to get some really powerful cards that still have some utility today, but obviously are completely legal in this format, and actually quite good in this format. Obviously, Swords to Plowshares is an extremely powerful white card for one, instant for one, where you can exile target creature, and its controller gains life equal to its power. And the fact that I was able to put this in my deck obviously gives me some very good removal. I, I'm not, I, I know that my opponents in that game are going to be running some extremely powerful creatures, and the fact that I have a Swords to Plowshares in here gives me an opportunity to try to interact with them even though I'm not playing blue. And, uh, obviously, that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that this deck is going to face, is that all of my opponents, I think, are going to be playing blue in some shape or form, and that means having to deal with a lot of counter spells. So, uh, obviously, I had to start running some interesting protection things in, in this deck to try to be able to deal with the fact that I'm not running blue. But, again, back to the restrictive deck building thing, I just really enjoyed trying to be able to figure out how I was going to be able to build an Enchantress deck uh, use, utilizing only these Corset cards. Obviously, an Enchantress deck is not something that I've built previously, so it was an opportunity for me to really be able to dip into a part of the card pool that I've never really been involved with before. Obviously, I have a couple of friends who have Enchantress decks. I, I know a guy from a local game store who has a very, very powerful Two of the Sunlit Enchantress deck, that is uh, quite broken <laughs> in, in a lot of cases. And the opportunity to try to break some new ground was very interesting to me when I wanted to... Uh, try to build an enchantress deck of some sort. Obviously, I was going to run green, I was going to run white, but the thought of being able to add red really intrigued me. Obviously, red is not the largest part of the pie of my overall deck. Obviously, it's the tertiary color, because the, obviously there's more synergies between green and white and enchantments. But the fact that I was able to include red in Platyamores' uh, color identity really allowed me the opportunity to f- use some cards that I'd never seen before for maximum effect. And the fact that I was able to add some interesting red enchantments to the deck, I definitely think adds a lot of flavor, which otherwise would have been missing had I just run with the two-color green-white pairing. And I just really... The, the fact that I w- ha- still had access to a whole lot of very popular, very powerful cards really intrigued me. Obviously... Ninth edition cards in, in general were much more powerful than their third edition counterparts. Trying to be able to pick and choose which cards from which years was definitely part of the part of the learning process for me. I I could have easily gone with all ninth edition or eighth edition cards, but just my interest as a deck builder and trying to build something funky and new really pushed me towards trying to build with a whole bunch of like third to fifth edition cards, or maybe in some things from Chronicled. Or, or if I get a revised card or two for a couple of cents here or there, something like that, I really wanted to be able to try to find some of those diamonds in the rough that even if they wouldn't necessarily have the most powerful impact in the game, they would certainly make people laugh. And, you know, if, if you've been listening to my podcast for a long time, you've probably heard me talk about my deck building process. Maybe someday I'll do a full podcast on what I really look for when I'm building decks, so uh, definitely let me know on Twitter if you're interested in that sort of thing. But... I really wanted to try to find some kind of unique effects or cards that don't really ever see play and be able to put those in the deck because even, because like I said, if I even if I don't win, the fact that I'm putting these different cards in that other people haven't seen before, haven't seen played before, hopefully I'll be able to get some nice laughs out of that, and you're going to remember that game. Obviously, I, I have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I kind of enjoy playing funky cards that people have never heard before because you always remember how those cards seem to interact in the game. Whereas in my, at least in my experience, the the, the the games where I've played with some very powerful cards, my more optimized decks, I don't really remember them even days after the fact. But if I can remember some of the funky cards that I threw together, let's say in this deck, I typically end up remembering those games for weeks afterwards, maybe even months just because of the silly interactions I was able to have with not only with the table, but also just kind of the weird board interactions that I was able to have with other people's cards. And that's really what I enjoy about this, uh, about this format, is the fact that I was, I was free to not really have to worry about the power level, and I could try to find some interesting, funky cards, yet rather useful utility cards. So that was Crumble, and Crumble is an instant for a single green, so it's just like, and it works just like nature's claim, almost. It says buried target artifact. Artifacts controller gains life equal to the artifact's casting cost. So I figured that if I'm going to be going up against Esper de- an Esper deck or a Demir deck, let's say that j is going to be running, then I'm probably going to want some sort of artifact removal. And obviously in the white-bordered meta, I'm, I don't have access to Naturalize. I don't have access to Nature's Claim, even though that's effectively a much better card because uh, Crumble only allows you to destroy a target artifact. So obviously nowhere near as strong as even nature's claim, but the fact is that that I could technically destroy an artifact for a single green mana in a deck that really runs a lot of forests and a lot of green permanents, because that's some, still some very efficient removal in these colors, even with this extreme deck building restriction. And I, I have several other cards in this deck that obviously I'm not going to go into right now because I want to save them for that game. But I, I did really have to try to find some interesting functional ways to try to be able to hit all the main points of what the deck wants to do, whether that's creatures, removal, pump spells, uh, things like that, to really make the deck work in the meta. But also just, you know, try to try to make the deck work well. Obviously, th- there has to be a, a nice balance between functionality in your in your deck and then the creativity obviously i don't want to complete the most creative deck that also is a terror to play or is also terrible to play excuse me because obviously no one more really wants to get stuck with a bunch of dead cards in their hand every time out and i i did want to make sure this card deck even if it's not going to be great is still going to be somewhat fun and you know hopefully competitive so again i'm not going to really go into a lot of the cards that are in there but I really just enjoyed the challenge, and and it's, and it's one of those things where, again, I will talk about this in a future episode, that I really love restrictive deck-building themes because they force you to try to come up with the best lines of play possible with a very limited card pool, and the fact that I had a very limited card pool allowed me to be extremely creative because I started being able to start looking at cards from each set and thinking, huh... Obviously, I could try to go for the power play. There's a bunch of really powerful cards in here. But I also decided to try to build this deck on a budget. That's right. I built this deck for about $35, or at least most of the cards have a total value of about $35 to $40. Obviously, I had a couple of them already on hand. But the fact is is that the cost restriction was also something that I self-imposed on myself. That wasn't necessarily part of the meta, the, the agreement that we made when we were building these decks, but it's something that I wanted to put on myself because I wanted to see how much mileage I could get out of extremely cheap cards. And that that's really one of those personal things where I was able to find a lot of really powerful cards, or at least cards that work for my deck, fairly cheap. And that, and that definitely comes back to just what I enjoy as a deck builder, is being able to find those Diamonds in the Rough cards that obviously people have never heard of or have long since looked past as just being quote-unquote bad and being able to utilize those cards for, you know, decent effect. Obviously, they're not going to be completely game-breaking here. The the best cards in a lot of those sets, especially things back in Unlimited and Revised, are extremely expensive now with all the reserved list hoopla, and the card spikes and whatnot. But the fact that I was able to find so many great cards from, you know, from Revised, from 3rd Edition, from 4th Edition, 5th Edition... Uh, it just it's really a testament to just how far I've come as a deck builder and how much I really enjoy having that restriction placed on me because I, I feel like that's when I stop trying to follow the line of what a lot of players would consider to be an optimized deck. and I really start to just bring out my personality as a deck builder. And that's and that's something that I've really been harping on a lot here on my channel is play what you definitely play what you want. I'm not here to tell you what you should or should not play. I'm just here to say that I really enjoy the creativity forced upon me by deck building restrictions, and this deck is no exception. Sure, Palladium Wars is not exactly a great commander. Even Johan is a much better option. And yes, there are far better commanders that were available in the in the overall card pool. However, the fact that I could play an OG Dragon from the basically was one of the first four or five to ever be uh, utilized in what in the format that eventually became what we know as EDH today, really stuck with me, really resonated with me, because it's just, it's it's an interesting card. It's got some pretty seriously interesting art. I mean, here's Palladium Ours with her mouth open, breathing fire, I guess. And, and 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 there's just some skulls here in the background, and she's in this cave. I mean, this is some seriously awesome art. And so thank you, Edward Beard Jr. from 1995, for creating this Palladium Moors art, because it's really kick-ass and I'm really looking forward to piloting this deck on stream or just, just you know, anytime, anywhere. So, obviously, it's the lowest-powered deck I've probably ever built, but I'm still really proud of what I've been able to do given those restrictions, well, given all the restrictions that I've put on myself and were also foisted on me by the concept of the mono-white border deck. And I really think it's one of the most interesting decks I've recently completed because it just it takes everything that I enjoy about building decks and really sent it to an extreme. I do enjoy building decks using cards in my collection, but the fact that I was able to learn about a whole bunch of really silly old cards really pushes it over the top for me. And that's why I'm really looking forward to piloting this whenever we are able to get that Mono Whiteboarder game online. So now I want to hear from you. What do you think about restrictive deck building uh, concepts like this? And what do you think about restricting yourself to only the core sets from Unlimited all the way through 9th edition? You can let me know on Twitter, where you can find me at, at MTG in quarantine. You can also find the back catalog of my podcast episodes on Spotify, Google Casts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Well, that'll about wrap it up. For the MTG and Quarantine channel, my name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day.